Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Listen, I think that so often in the American church, in the time we're in, there's a temptation to just go through the motions of church. There's a temptation to just do church light and say all the right things and give everybody good fuzzy feelings. But what this world needs right now is a church that is desperate and hungry for the presence of God. And so we're not doing church light here at Project Church. I'm just telling you. I believe God is calling us to be a house that goes after the presence that goes deep into the word of God that challenges ourselves to be more and more like him to be closer to him and right now we're in a moment if you saw the news this morning where once again Sacramento in national news or the top story there was a shooting in downtown actually right in front of the building that Project Church started in nine years ago so far, six dead, 15 shot. And I believe that in these moments of darkness, that this is when God releases the church to be the light. That this is not a hopeless moment. This is a hopeful moment where we lean into the fact that we serve the king, the king of kings. And so today I want to speak to you from Mark chapter 15. And I want to talk to you about the servant king, Jesus. I'm introducing to you today a king that came and looks different than the kings of this world. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 15, 1 says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. We're in a moment when the world needs to know who the real king is. Who the true king is. Who a king that, that loves and serves is. And so today I want you to lift your voices with me as we pray for our city. As we pray for people who are hurting, who are dealing with the loss of life and death. They need our prayers, church, so would you pray with me? Jesus, we invite you, the king, to come into this place, to come into this situation, to meet these families, to bring hope where there is hopelessness, to bring life where there is death, to bring comfort where there is mourning. God, I pray that you would meet these families right now where they are. Send the right people. Use us to be a light tomorrow when, when there's conversations at our work around all of these things. May we point people to the king. A servant king who came to serve. Jesus, we need you. May we be the church you're calling us to be. May we step into the spheres and the environments that you want us to step into. Not with timidity or fear, but with confidence and courage, God. Walking with the voice of a lion that we sung about today. So Jesus, today, we invite you to have your way in your name. In your name, we pray. 
Amen. Amen. As you're seated this morning, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him you came to the right place today. God's got a word for us. Tell him you came to the right place. God's got a word for us. Come on, give it up for the worship team. You see them looking all cute in their new hoodies. You see them in their Project Music hoodies looking so cute. Oh, my goodness. Man, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this team. Uh, I'm thankful for everyone that serves. I don't know if you know, but it takes a lot of people to make church happen. And I'm here to announce to you that with the growth we're experiencing right now in our services and our church, um, Easter Sunday, we are having three services. And then from then on, we'll be having three services um, coming up. And so I'm going to debut the times on Easter Sunday. Um, so make sure you're there. You don't miss it. You register through the Church Center app. But then also, we need more people to serve. So if you would like to serve, jump on a team. Go to the Church Center app, the, the homepage. There's a place to serve. Uh, as we launch another service, we need more people. So some of you have been coming, sitting, chilling, thinking they got this. We need you. All right? So would you jump in and serve with us? Uh, even if it's once a month, that makes a huge difference. Serve on a team. And uh, we believe that God is going to use this church in this city, in this moment, to bring hope. Because how many know we know the king? I was thinking about this message, the servant king, and we've come to Mark chapter 15. We are closing out this three-year journey in the book of Mark. If you're new, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Mark. This is something we do as a church, and it's taken us three years to get through this entire book, but we are coming to the end. Next week, Chrissy will be speaking on the resurrection, or not the resurrection, on the crucifixion. Easter Sunday, we'll be celebrating the resurrection, but today... I am talking about the trial that leads up to Jesus walking to the cross. And it's been a journey in this book, but it's one that ends with a culmination, a celebration. And I believe something that God is going to instill in us today is the heart of a king. Because I was thinking about kings, and there's a lot of kings that we can think about from history. In fact, when I think of the most famous kings, I think of Louis XIV of France and Henry VIII of England. There's Louis XIV. Uh, his hair ain't real if you're wondering, if you're jealous, ladies. And, uh, and Henry VIII of England, two of the most infamous kings in history. I think of Genghis Khan, a leader who overtook much of the Eastern Empire in this day, ruled with a, an iron fist. Genghis Khan, this, these are some renderings of them. I think about a king with a name like no other, Mufasa. Say it again. Come on. Mufasa. There's nobody like him. Say it again. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. I think of another king. That he, I don't know if he gave his, himself this title or someone else, but this is King James. The second greatest basketball player of all time behind Michael Jordan. Those of you that really know basketball, you know. Those of you that still think he's the GOAT, you're wrong. Okay. We'll pray for you. But King James. I think about one of my favorite kings, fictional kings, Aragorn, a.k.a. Strider. The return of the king. A lot of you ladies were too excited about that. Relax, okay? I think of uh, another fictional king who I'm a fan of, King T'Challa. Come on. 
Wakanda forever. I love Black Panther. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. He loved Jesus too, if you didn't know. And then I think about the greatest kings of all times. Come on, give it up right now. The greatest show on court, church. We Sacramento Kings fans, we don't live in the present, we live in the past. Come on. The struggle is real, but if you know, you know, and if you don't know, I'm sorry, you missed it. Let's keep praying for the Kings, church. They need Jesus. They need demons cast out. They need, I don't know, they need a lot, but they need our prayers, that is for sure. But man, today as I thought about kings, and I know I, this was funny, but I was thinking about how this world perceives kings. You see, kings stand in a place of esteem, of honor. They are served always. They have subjects that they rule over. They are the authority. And they do not stoop down for anyone. And yet we serve a king who created an upside-down kingdom. He said, the greatest of you will be the least, and the least of you will be the greatest. He said about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Today, I wanted to introduce you to the king, the servant king. His name is Jesus. And he's a king unlike any other. As we look at him, we need to identify what this servant king is all about, what Jesus was all about. I think so often we come into church and it's about like how five steps for you to be a better Christian, how you can be more like Jesus. But today I just wanted to talk to you about who Jesus was, the servant king that he was. You see, the first thing I see is that Jesus was the obedient king. Now, these are kind of an oxymoron, this idea of servant king or obedient king. I mean, kings aren't meant to obey anyone. They aren't meant to serve anyone. Their subjects obey them. Their subjects serve them, and yet we serve a king who came to serve. We serve a king in Jesus who was an obedient king. I read it for you. Verse 2, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. You see, Pilate asked the question that I want us to think about. He asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Some of you have made kings in your life. You have kings or idols or things that you pay homage to, you bow the knee to. But I want to ask you, have you made Jesus your king? When Pilate asked Jesus this during his trial, he says to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, you have said so. Well, I, I begin to dug into the original, dig into the original language from this text. You see how it's written in the original Greek would be the pronoun first. 
And so this is how it would be said more properly in English. It would be Pilate asking this way, you, the king of the Jews. I would say it like this, you, the king of the Jews. I picture Pilate asking the question like that because he looks at Jesus and Jesus doesn't look like the king that he's been taught to recognize. You see, Pilate had really one primary job as the ruler over this area of Israel. His primary job was to identify and eliminate, eliminate any threats to the Roman rule. You see, Rome was in occupation. They were in power. They were the rulers and the authorities. And Pilate's job was anyone raising up any authority, any possible potential future king. They knew of the Messiah who had been foretold by the Jews. He was to eliminate them. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, you, the king of the Jews, I can identify with, it, with this. I don't know if you identify with it because sometimes people look at you and they go, you? I tell people all the time I'm a pastor and they go, you? A pastor of a church? <laughs> they look at me and they judge me. And I think you can identify with that. Because you've had people look at you maybe about your job or your business. They say, you? You're too young or you're too old. You don't wear the right clothes. Look the part. You? Really? You? We identify with Jesus in so many ways. And this is one of those moments where I believe we can identify with him once again. Where Pilate says, you, the king of the Jews. And Jesus responds, in a very unique way like only Jesus could when he says, you have said so. Now, as we dig into this language in the Greek as well, uh, I begin to study it and read into it. And the way he would have responded would have been somewhat puzzling to Pilate. But we can recognize and understand it today that what Jesus was saying was yes and no. Well, what do you mean, Caleb? You, the king of the Jews? Yes and no. What was Jesus saying? Yes, I am the king of the Jews, but no, I'm not the kind of king that you're looking for. You see, Jesus was not a king that came to establish an earthly kingdom. He was not a king that came to overthrow the Roman authority and government. He was a king that came to serve. He was a king that came to establish a heavenly kingdom, a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom. Why? Because he was an obedient king, and the obedient king was on a mission from his father. I say this to tell you today, that as Jesus is an obedient king, we must be obedient followers. You see, just as Jesus was on a mission not to establish an earthly kingdom or an earthly authority, so too you are on mission on this earth not to establish and just pursue your dreams or establish your earthly kingdom. No, you are on mission with a heavenly mission to establish and, and continue to make Jesus' name known on this earth, to continue to grow the, the heavenly kingdom, to continue to populate heaven. I want to go to heaven, church, but I want to bring as many people with me as I can. And I wonder if we have that perspective so often in our life. Or are we worried about what 
kingdom we're building. I think about this when I, when I read Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a, say it again, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he, say it again, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I want you to imagine this. The creator of the universe, he spoke and stars and constellations and universes were made. He breathed and breathed life into, into plants and animals and human beings. And this creator God, this ruler, this all authority and power, omnipotent, omniscient says, I'm going to humble myself and become a man, but not just a man a baby can you imagine being god and needing your diaper to be changed can you imagine being god and not being able to feed yourself but being reliant on a mother for sustenance can you imagine this when you talk about humility i mean i don't think about this very often but when i really wrap my mind around I'm like i don't think i could do that humbled himself as a man, as a baby, grew and then humbled himself to the point of death and death on a cross. I was thinking about obedience and it started making me think about what controls us. What controls you? What controls your life? What controls your decisions? Is it food that controls you? Is it sex that controls you? Is it the opinion of others that controls you? Some of you changed clothes seven times this morning to come here. I changed twice, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Why? Because we care about what people think about us. We got to look good. We want people to think we got it together. Does the opinion of others control you? Does money control you? Do your past relationships control you? How many you know self-control and obedience are hard things? I mean, we talk about it in church, and I preach on it. I'm like, be self-controlled. Be obedient. Yes, Lord. But then when it's like, God's like, I need you to do this. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> when I have to choose between what's right and what feels good in the moment, I go, hold up. I mean, I'm at a cross. Which one do I take? Because how many of you know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is often oh so weak? I was thinking about the evolution of video games around this idea of control. You know, I'm old enough to remember the days of Atari. <laughs> you feel me? I'm talking about like Pong. I remember Pong, y'all. It was like two bits. <laughs> we thought it was dope. Dink, dink, dink. You, you guys don't remember. It was just a ball that just bounced. That was it. That was Pong. And I'm like, this is fire. <laughs> Then I got the first Nintendo. My mind was blown. Duck Hunt. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. My goodness. I mean, my world was expanded. Then we go further on. I got the first Sega Genesis when it came out. Snap. I got down on some Sonic the Hedgehog. Mortal Kombat. 
My mom bought me it, though. The edited version had no blood. Come on, Joanne. <laughs> Joanne was holding me back from living my best life. <laughs> Don't worry, though. I figured out the code to turn the blood on. Come on, somebody. <laughs> yes, sir. You think about video games and the evolution. I mean, now, then we get PlayStation. I'm talking about the, the not the vertical one. The, the horizontal one, you guys remember what I'm saying? Like the flat PlayStation. Then the Xbox, and now we're up to, I don't know, PlayStation 7 or whatever. Now we got Oculus goggles. We're playing video games in real life. People are falling over, slamming themselves into TVs and stuff. It's crazy. But how many of you know, it doesn't matter... How much you've upgraded, how much you've upgraded in terms of video games or your life, there's one thing that all these systems have in common and you have in common, and that's there's always a controller. Every single time, to this day, there is still a controller. And for you and for me, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how much you've upgraded your life, there's something controlling you. And so I want to ask you today, is it sin that's controlling you or is it the spirit that's controlling you? Because as followers of Christ, we have to feed our spirit man to make him stronger. The problem is we so often feed the sinful man and then the sinful man is controlling us. How can you be obedient when you fed the wrong man? I want to be obedient to God like my obedient Savior King Jesus. But if I'm feeding the wrong man, I'm going to fall into the wrong temptations. So church, feed your spirit. Why do you think we want you in church? Not because we love a full room, which we do. I much prefer to preach to a full room than an empty room. When we were in COVID, preaching to a camera, trash. I mean, I did my best. But let me tell you, it was hard. And I hated it. And I'm like, God, just let them come back in the room. In the same way, how can we be all God wants us to be if we're feeding the wrong man? God wants you to be obedient. Why? Because you have an obedient Savior king how many know jesus is also the true king everybody say truth Truth. not talking about paul pierce (laughs) he was the truth mark 15 i want to read verse 6 now through 11 i'm continuing in this story of jesus trial now at the feast He, being Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. 
So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Jesus, the true king. You see, Pilate asks, who do you want? Do you want the king of the Jews? Or do you want Barabbas? I don't think it's an accident that the Gospels include this in the story. I don't think it's an accident that Mark would include this in his telling, which is somewhat of an abridged version. We have more in the other Gospels of Jesus' trial. See, he actually went to Pilate and went back to Herod. And then Herod sent him back to Pilate again because he wanted nothing to do with it. We don't see that here in Mark, but that's really how it went. But in all the Gospels is this account of Barabbas and I think that Mark tells this and includes this because he knows that we have a propensity as human beings to desire something counterfeit. We don't want the true king. We want a false king. We want a false idol. We settle for less in our lives, don't we? We settle for what is fake. Why? Because so often it's what is easy. Or so often it's because the enemy puts little lies in our ears and says, no, you want Barabbas instead of the true king. Who would choose Barabbas over Jesus? Why would anyone in their right mind choose a rebel, a murderer, a killer, a criminal over Jesus? Why? Because... There's this lie that the enemy so often does where he puts in our heart and our mind this idea that we want what is fake. We latch on to what is counterfeit. I can illustrate this no better than by my own shoe collection. I've got two pairs of fake Jordans, church. I'm not going to lie. Look, these are my confessions, okay? Like... I got to keep it, what do the kids say? A buck. I got to keep it 100 with you, okay? So, so I, I saw this website, and it was like fake Jordans. They were like 60 bucks, and these Jordans that I was looking at were like uh, online, like 300. Couldn't get them for less. So I was like, let's try it. And so I snagged a couple pairs, and I'll wear them. And I'm not going to lie, when I wear them, like from a distance, people are like, oh, dang, Caleb's got it like that. Like, oh, those are tight. Those are fresh. Like, those are nice. And I'll get compliments. But can I be real with you? If you get up close, you can see that they're counterfeit. When you get up close, you can see that the details are different. You can see that the stitching is already coming out and I just got them. You can see when you get close. I'm not going to lie to you either. When I wear them, I can tell within an hour whether they're fake or real. Why? Because of the comfort level. And yet we're drawn to what is counterfeit. Why? Because it's easy. We're drawn to what is counterfeit. Why? Because it, 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 it hurts our bank account a little less. When God says be generous, when God asks us to give in obedience, and we go, well, God, I'll give, but not as much as you're probably telling me to give. I'm going to give you a little bit. I'm going to tip you, God, because today was a good service. So here's my tip. 
the true king. I want to ask you today that you would think about the feet of the kings that you fall at in your life. The idols, the gods, the kings that you bow the knee to every single day, every week, every month. And if we were honest, I wonder if we sat down and confessed that there are some false counterfeit kings in our lives that we have elevated over the true king Jesus in our life. You see, Jesus, the true king, is willing to take what only he could take for us. It says at the end of this text that I just read to you, and we, we breeze by it so often, verse 15, it says, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released it to them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And this word scourged is a word we don't talk about. It's a word we don't see often. It's a word we don't think about. But if we study what that meant, it meant that they would have taken his cloak off him. They would have stripped him down, put him up against the post, and they would have begun to whip him. But this wasn't any normal whip. This was a whip of leather tails, which would have been intertwined with it, bone and metal, and they say that it would have ripped the skin and the flesh from his back down to the bone. In fact, it was so horrific that the Roman ruler Domitian, who, who was a, a, a tyrant who encouraged mutilation, who encouraged torture, would not even watch the scourgings himself because it made him sick. You see, the true king pays the true price for us. And Jesus bore what only he could bore or bear so that we could receive what only he could give. Jesus is the true king and Jesus is the king who took our place. Do you know he took your place? He took my place. I want to read the end of this. And the soldiers led him away, verse 16, inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with the reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped off the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Where does Jesus go? He goes to his death. Because that's what the people asked for. But he goes to his death. Because that was the will of his father. A servant king. Willing to obey. Willing to serve. A true king. Willing to take our place. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. Jesus perfection for our imperfection. Jesus sinlessness for our sin. Can you imagine a king that would take your place? 
that would take my place. A king that would lay his life down willingly. You see, sin had to be atoned for, church. It had to be. We illustrate this by saying that that there is a chasm between us and God because he's a perfect God, a righteous God, and our sinfulness cannot come into the presence of a perfect God. So there's a chasm between us and God, but there had to be something to bridge the gap. A sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice that would wash away your sins and my sins and all the sins of all of mankind for all of time. Why? So we could come into the presence of a perfect God, perfect ourselves. Not because we're perfect, but because Jesus' sacrifice makes us perfect. Because when we step into the presence of God, our sins have always already been atoned for They've already been washed away. They've already been forgotten. It doesn't matter if you're the worst sinner in this room or the least of all sinners in this room. You can step into the perfect presence of a perfect God. Why? Because of the price that Jesus paid by taking your place. By taking my place. So Jesus in the garden, he gets up. After praying, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And he prays, yet not my will, but your will be done. I believe that it was God saying, it's either you or them. It's you or it's them. And Jesus being the servant king, Jesus being the true king, Jesus being the king that was willing to take our place said, let it be me. Let it be me that pays the price. Let it be me that that goes to the cross. Let it be me that dies the death. If it's me or it's them, it'll be me. And I've read this text so many times and I've thought about this idea of Barabbas. Because how many of you know this is, is so infuriating to think about the people crying out for Barabbas instead of Jesus. I mean, they want the rebel, the murderer, the insurrectionist, the killer. They want him over Jesus. What had Jesus ever done? Oh, I know what Jesus had done. Opened blind eyes. Made the lame walk. Healed the sick and touched the lepers. He gave hope to the hopeless. He took food and multiplied and fed the thousands. He raised those who were dead back to life. What had Jesus ever done? He brought the children unto him. He loved the unlovely. He touched those that no one else would touch. What had Jesus ever done? He had only done what was good in this world. And yet what do the people say? They say, give us Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. We don't want the king of the Jews. We want Barabbas. We want what is counterfeit. We want what is fake. And what do you want me to do with Jesus? They say, crucify him. Crucify him. And this is so painful to think about and so audacious it's borderline blasphemy when we think about it and yet 
as I've read this and thought more about it, I realize that I'm Barabbas, that you're Barabbas, that we're Barabbas, we're rebels, we're sinners, we're killers, we're murderers, we're haters, and we're hurtful people. And Jesus said, I had to become Barabbas so Barabbas could become me. You see, Jesus took your place and he took my place and he took Barabbas's place. And I believe this was left in the text because it was a reminder for us that we all are like Barabbas, undeserving, undeserving of someone like Jesus to take our place. And yet he took our place anyways. Why? Because that's what a true king does. That's what a loving king does. That's what a serving king does. And this is what Jesus does for you and for me. And so today, I didn't come to give you church light. I came to remind you of the good news of the gospel. And the good news is this. It's not about anything you can do or you will do. It's not about you being perfect or you being righteous enough or good enough or holy enough. No, it's not about any of that. It's about you acknowledging that I'm undeserving, that I'm just like Barabbas. But thankfully, Jesus took my place anyways. And because of his sacrifice, I can step into the perfect presence of God. Righteous, holy, perfect. Not because of my good works, but because of the act of the servant king, Jesus. Today, I want to ask you, is he your king? Is he your king, church? Have you made him your king? Or do you have other kings in your life that you've elevated over the king of kings, over the true king, over the obedient king, over the servant king? And my challenge to you is no longer... How could we not be a people that serve when our Savior King served? I think that God wanted to change some of our perspectives in this place today. That we would leave here going, no, I got to live different. I got to live different. Why? Because I'm here to serve like my King served. Would you bow your heads in this room? I know this message was a little heavier, a little more serious. But I believe God wanted to remind us of the king that we serve. If you're in this place and you say to me, Caleb, honestly, I have not made Jesus the Lord of my life. I've not made him the king of my, of my life. I've not surrendered fully to him i've been running from him i've turned my back on him but today you want to come back in a right relationship right standing with the king the true king today's your day you didn't come in here by accident god wanted you here he's speaking to you right now and if that's you i want you to lift your hand you need to come back in a right relationship with the king you need to give your life to jesus the true king go put your hand up right now yes 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 Yes, yes, yes. You can put them down, church. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I think there's someone else in this room. You say, Caleb, 
I've been walking with God, but honestly, I have elevated some other things in my life. I haven't been as willing to serve, and I want to be a servant like my servant king. If that's you, lift your hand. If God spoke to you today and that was something he put in your heart, yes, hands going up in the room. You can put them down. Everyone pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Jesus, thank you for taking my place, for dying the death that I should have died, but you died in my place. Today, I receive forgiveness. I receive your grace. Not because of my good works. I'm not going to boast except in you. Except in the cross. Except in what you did. So Jesus, you are my king. You are my Lord. I want to serve like you serve. A servant king. A true king. A humble king. A loving king. An obedient king. I love you, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give God some praise in this place. I want you to stand to your feet right now with me. Stand to your feet. I want us to sing one last song as a song of declaration. Let this be our declaration that we will live as servants because our king serves. Would you sing this? Would you lift your hands and let this be something that God works in our heart today? Come on. Worship the Lord today, church. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.